Hello and welcome to Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro, and it's been a minute, so let's jump right in. It's been a few weeks since I've done an episode, so so this one is going to be mostly a catch-up of what's gone on in the league since we were last on. And so we're gonna, let's, let's start with the NBA. Um, the new season is set to begin this week, and there are a lot of interesting storylines to look at, teams that that could be considered favorites and dark horses and different types of things. But before we get to the season that's ahead of us, I want to talk about the off season because the most interesting thing to me was the fact that Kevin Durant seemed to be kind of tired of the situation in Brooklyn. I know, and I know we've talked about that before, but he, he delivered an ultimatum to his, his GM and, and, and his owner. And he basically said, Hey, you know, either get rid of Steve Nash and Kyrie Irving or trade me. And prov- providing a bit of a standoff between himself and his management for the second time in his career, he did the same thing in Oklahoma City when he got tired of, of playing with Russell Westbrook. But the interesting part was just before that, there had been – talk that he was working with the ownership working with the GM to find a trade partner that worked for both of them so so things although not working out for Brooklyn seemed to be amicable between Durant and the Nets and then not long after that he randomly came out with the demand of get rid of of the coach and Kyrie and all this stuff or get rid of me changing the tone of of the negotiations and the situation and Brooklyn basically said no you're going to play for us or you're going to sit for us and Kevin Durant said okay I'll play for you which the whole thing to me was odd I don't know why I really don't understand why Kevin Durant would would basically end his good faith with with his organization with a demand when they were already working with him to change things. But also, to me, this signifies, and, and, and there's another incident that I'll get to in a second, signifies the changing of the guard in the NBA, where in the last several years, it seemed as though the players were in control and, and, and were basically, we, we, we were in a, a, an era where the players were telling ownership like, hey, this is what I want, do it or else. And now it seems to me like ownership and GMs with the Kevin Durant thing, with with, with, with what I'm going to get to in a second with Draymond Green, are taking ownership of the teams that they own and the teams that they run, the owners and the GMs. And so maybe we're seeing a changing of the guard as, as far as the hierarchy of the NBA returning to where it should be in that the individuals who who own and manage and coach teams should be allowed to own and manage and coach their teams. So so Kevin Durant providing an ultimatum and ultimately having the Nets just flat out say no, you're going to play for us and him acquiescing to that provided an interesting dynamic that I think now is going to is going to work its way into the season where he said he's going to play and Kyrie said he's going to play. But 
how how well is that going to go and for how long? I don't I don't I don't see it being a successful marriage. Um about as unsuccessful as it was last year when they barely made the playoffs and got swept out. And so it'll it'll be interesting to see where all this stands in about a month or two months if things don't get off to the start that Brooklyn wants. Not to mention that Ben Simmons is back and looking like Ben Simmons. Dominant in some areas and absolutely terrible in others, i.e. his jump shot looks somehow worse than it did before he missed an entire year. And so there's that drama with Durant and, 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 the, and the Nets that has lasted a while. And then there's this new drama in the Bay Area with the Golden State Warriors where Draymond Green and Jordan Poole got into a fight at practice and Draymond Green ended up punching Jordan Poole during practice and it ended up uh, being in a, in a scuffle involving the whole team trying to break them up and this kind of thing. And video video leaked of that, so we've we've seen the scuffle. And Draymond, it was not an actor's punch. Draymond went after Jordan Poole. We don't know what was said. Um, but it led Steve Kerr to call the situation a crisis, like nothing he's ever dealt with before. It led Draymond Green to self-impose a suspension from his own team. He is back with them now, but he was gone for several days. And Jordan Poole being a little quiet on the subject. So I don't see this being a being a clean break with Golden State. I don't see it being like, hey, it happened, we're moving on. Now let's defend our championship. Because to me, when two teammates literally come to blows, a divorce is coming for someone. That, that's not that's not something I don't think you can work out. But I feel like Golden State showed their hand today, just a few hours ago, when it when news broke that that Jordan Poole was finalizing a four-year, one hundred and forty million dollar contract extension with Golden State. Now, if this was any other player on the team except for one of the two involved in the scuffle. And essentially the victim of the scuffle, because all anyone's talking about is the fact that Draymond punched Jordan Poole. There's no word that Jordan Poole punched Draymond, other than he, he probably got a hit in to defend himself. But the fact that days after this happened, the Warriors are looking to extend Jordan Poole tells me that they're choosing their side if it comes to this. And I think eventually it will I think Draymond has been a valuable piece to the championships that Golden State has won, but we're starting to see where his antics and his words are getting more headlines than his play on the court. And now he's done this, where he goes after his own teammate, who proved to be a huge contributor to their last championship. And so I think I wouldn't be surprised if Draymond was moved at some point during this year. And keep an eye out on the Detroit Pistons if that happens. Because Draymond Green is from Michigan. He played he played um, college ball at 
Michigan State, and I believe he was quoted at one point as saying that he wanted to play for the Pistons at some point, finish out his career for the Pistons at some point. And the Pistons have, have been very aggressive in the draft and in the offseason, and they have a lot of great great young pieces and, and, and could make some noise. So, so I expect that if Draymond is put on the trading block, is put on the market, that Detroit will be aggressive because I don't see I don't see this Golden State situation resolving itself cleanly, and I think Golden State is making a statement by finalizing an extension with Jordan Poole. On the court this year is going to be something interesting. You know, you have to keep an eye out on the defending champs and the teams that that were close. You have to keep an eye out on the Celtics and the Bucks and the Suns as well. It remains to be seen how the, how the Celtics will fare after Udoka was suspended, but I still think they'll be a contender because on the court it's still the same. I think we'll we will see the Lakers continue to struggle because they didn't make any notable additions outside of Patrick Beverly, and he'll be vying for minutes with Russell Westbrook, who I believe yesterday sustained some sort of injury to his hamstring. So. If he'll even be available to start the year, that remains to be seen. LeBron is only getting older. AD seems to be healthy right now. He says he feels good, but he he inevitably gets hurt every single year. Like I said, they they, they added no significant pieces, and they still have Russell Westbrook, whether he plays or not. So I think we'll still see them struggle to find their way. What I'm interested to see, and I'm not out here saying they'll be a playoff team, but... There's a lot of noise coming out of the Magic camp, of the Orlando Magic. Uh, Paolo Bencaro has looked really good in his action, in summer league action, preseason action, leading up to his rookie season. Markel Fultz, who, in my opinion, is a difference maker for this offense, is confident in in the people they have in that locker room. They have a bunch of young talent that I think is going to lead them to make noise. If not to the playoffs, then at least show that something is happening. Because because Markel Fultz came back at some point last year, and and, and they did improve. Um, but there was a lot of new pieces, and Cole Anthony had, had, had taken his spot as, as like the starting point guard or whatever. But I think back to the year before that where the Magic were started the season 5-0, and were first place in the East for a couple, the first couple of weeks, and and Markel Fultz was playing out of his mind. He was playing the best basketball he's ever played in the NBA, and then he tears his ACL. So I think Markel Fultz brings energy to this team, um, and I think Paolo Bencaro is going to be in consideration for Rookie of the Year. I don't think he will win it, which brings me to my, to my next point. My co- sort of bold prediction, not that bold at all, but I said he was. He, I said he was my favorite player in the draft um i think we, especially with the injury to chet holmgren i think benedict matherin is going to win rookie of the year in the nba he's looked really good in preseason and i think i, I think he's going to bring some of what he brought to arizona in in the tournament in the ncaa tournament i think he's going to bring that to indiana and he's going to make some noise and whether or not indiana ends up having success this year. I think Benedict Matherin is going to make the most noise of the rookie class and win rookie of the year. All right, we're going to move on really quick to the NFL. Going into this year, I was 
so so excited. I I was ex- I was as excited for an NFL season as I think I've ever been going into this year because of how good last season was. Everybody beating everybody, uh, the the playoff clinching and seeding coming down to the final game. Everybody being into it. That that last regular season game between between uh, the Chargers and the Raiders for the last playoff spot. Uh, winner goes. Win, winner gets in. Loser goes home. And the Steelers sitting and waiting for a tie that they might get in, and it coming down to the last three seconds for that to be figured out. That it was about as good of an NFL season as we've ever seen. So coming into this year, I was super excited for that very reason um, that we could have another season like last season. And in some ways, that's what we're getting in terms of every, in terms of everybody beating everybody. But the weird, this season is really weird. And that is because the teams we expected to be good are not. And the teams that we expected to be bad are not. The Packers, even though they're 3-2, and two, don't look particularly good because uh, they have no receiving. The Colts with Matt Ryan look pretty bad. Uh, and, and people were floating them out there as not only as not only AFC South champs, but possible Super Bowl contenders. Tampa Bay with injury issues and, and the issue and, and the uh, drama that Tom is dealing with in his personal life. Tampa at three and two is not does not look as solid as they have. The Kansas City Chiefs look really good, but they lost to the Colts. So many teams that we expected to be good, expected to be talking about. We expected the AFC West to be the best division in football with with Devontae Adams and Derek Carr teaming up in, in Vegas and, and Russell Wilson going to Denver. More on that in a second. We expected the AFC, the AFC West to be a dogfight, and all of a sudden, nobody really looks good in, in that division. The Chargers were my pick for the AFC in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl, they don't look particularly stable. They, uh, Justin Herbert's dealt with injuries that have rendered him limited. Whether or not we expected to see the Cowboys at at four and one, it was one thing. But for it to be led by uh, Cooper Rush and not Dak Prescott, shocks everybody. And then teams that we expected to be bad. Are not not that we expected the Dolphins to be bad, but you know if Tua hadn't gotten hurt, they they would be four and one, maybe five and zero. Oh. Hopefully he comes back soon and they can keep winning. Um, but nobody really expected them to be the talk of the AFC, and yet they are for good and bad reasons. Um, but I, I think they're a better team than anybody expected. Minnesota looks really good through the first few games. Philadelphia, we you know after making the the playoffs as a wild card last year, we thought they they would have a shot at the division, but they're they're the best team in the NFL. They're five and zero, and I don't know who's going to slow them down. Detroit is is a quandary to me because they are one and four, but with the exception of last week, they've looked really good. They've scored a ton of points. And, and and the games they've lost, they lost by a slim margin with a lot of points. You know, they lost to Philadelphia 38-35. to They lost to Minnesota at the last minute when they, I think they had their 28 in that game. They, so 
Detroit is coming. They they have some stuff to figure out on the defensive end, obviously, because they're scoring a lot of points, but allowing even more. We expected Seattle to be bad. And Geno Smith looks rejuvenated. Looks like the Geno Smith from West Virginia. And this and the Seahawks look like they've won that trade right now. Um, the Giants, I think Brian Dable was the answer for this franchise. And I don't know if they'll sustain it the whole year and, and make the playoffs, but, man, they look good. Uh, Daniel Jones is a warrior. He has dealt with some injuries, and he's staying in there. Saquon Barkley looks like the player that he was before he was hurt. The defense looks good. Like, the Giants are probably the biggest surprise this year right now. But... If, if not the Giants, I think the biggest surprise is the Denver Broncos for all the wrong reasons. You know, here we are in the offseason uh, with Nathaniel Hackett getting hired as, as the head coach to me in, in a controversial move in getting rid of their previous coach because they almost made they, – they were eliminated from the playoffs in Week 17 with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. They were almost there. And so – when the the Aaron Rodgers drama was happening with Green Bay, Denver was seen as the obvious choice by both analysts and Aaron. Aaron had said that he wanted to go to Denver, and that was largely because of the fact that they had just hired Nathaniel Hackett as, as their new head coach, who had been the offensive coordinator in Green Bay prior to that. And Aaron really liked him. Aaron really liked Nathaniel Hackett, and obviously that's why he wanted to go to Denver. And they kind of shocked the NFL by going after Russell Wilson instead. And the instant reaction by almost everyone in NFL circles, including fans, was Super Bowl favorite, Super Bowl contender, including me. You know, it's it, it's hard to look at that team that almost made the playoffs with a different head coach and Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback and add in pro bowler and Super Bowl champion Russell Wilson and and not say, oh, they're a favorite to win the Super Bowl. And yet, on paper, it's all there. Really good receivers, decent defense. Actually, the defense should be applauded after how how they started how how they've started this year. Really good defense, really good receivers. Russell Wilson at quarterback. It 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 looked like that was going to happen. And then the season started and games started. And the Denver Broncos offense looked and continues to look lost. Uh, scoring 11 points against San Francisco, scoring 9 points against Indianapolis. Questionable play calling. I have I have seen multiple Broncos games because they're on primetime, more on that in a second and thought there's not a single play a single play call in this game where I thought hey that that was a good choice and I don't know if it's Russell Wilson being out of his depth something not being right with the meshing of everything I don't know if it's bad play calling by Hackett or the offensive coordinators or who but the offense looks clueless and I would not have I would have called you insane if you had told me that this 
offense would look this bad at this point. I don't I don't know if it's if it's Nathaniel Hackett's just not cut out to be a head coach. And if that's the case, it's fine. It happens. You know, sometimes you're the best coordinator and you're just not the head coach type. We've we've seen that although he seems to have found a groove at Ole Miss. We we saw that with Lane Kiffin whenever he got head coaching jobs. Wade Phillips uh, hasn't had the best uh, head coaching record. Bill O'Brien, and yet when you put them in the coordinator position, they flourish. So that's fine. If if Nathaniel Hackett's just not meant to be the head guy, that's fine. But Dan Quinn is another example. I but I I, I don't know if it's Russell Wilson being a bad fit. I don't know if if I don't know. But right now, Denver just looks like a major disappointment. They, they've somehow managed to be 2-3. and three. They should be 0-5. Oh they somehow managed to be 0-3, oh or 2-3, and three, excuse me, because their defense has kept them in games, keeping Indianapolis and Jonathan Taylor. Did not play in that Thursday night game, which is all the more reason why Denver should have won. Keep, keeping Indianapolis to 12 points, keeping San Francisco to 12 points. The defense has done its job. The offense has been pathetic. There's there's no there's no other word to describe the Denver offense at this point but pathetic. And so I'm going to be watching closely, which it's not going to be hard because they're on TV every week. And I think bring which brings me to another thing. I think the NFL and I knew I know it will be a pro, would be a problem with scheduling and ticketing and fans. I but after the last few weeks especially, what we need to do, what the NFL needs to do, is determine the, the primetime games on a week-to-week basis so we don't end up with, with the Broncos looking as bad as they have on a primetime game three consecutive weeks. They were on, they've, they've been on Thursday night, Monday night, and Sunday night already this year and looked terrible. And, and that, that Colts-Broncos Thursday night game was one of the worst games I've ever seen. And then, and then we end up, you know, the very next Thursday, this last Thursday with Chicago and I don't even remember. And, uh, and that game was bad. And so we've had two terrible Thursday night games in a row. And I know there are some contracts about certain you know you have to feature every team you have to do this you have to do that but why like the thursday night games the sunday night games the monday night games are designed for viewership are designed for for the highest audience possible the sunday night game is even called the game of the week so by that logic all primetime games should be decided on a week to week basis depending on what the best matchup and who looks the best because in that in that case we would not have seen Denver on primetime three times already this year, and they're going to be on primetime multiple times, I'm pretty sure, for the rest of the year because of what was expected. But that's not what we got, and I don't think we're going to get that at all this year. And so for them to be, what, three, four, five primetime games in a a team that looks this bad, that's a disservice to fans and a disservice to – Amazon Prime, who who paid all this money for these games. 
for the for the exclusive Thursday night rights to these games. We like I know it would be impossible because of fans and ticketing and different things, but for the good of the NFL, these primetime games need need to be decided on a week to week basis. I don't know what's wrong with Denver. I don't know if they'll fix it this year. And last but certainly not least, I want to move on to the MLB because the playoffs have begun. The postseason has begun and and the and the the teams are whittling down the the Phillies, the Padres. No no team has clinched a, their spot in in the the championship series yet, but but the Phillies, the Padres and the Astros are on the verge up two games in the the best of 5 series. So those three teams are on the verge. The the Phillies and Braves are playing right now. Philly has a 3-1 lead as I record this in the top of the 3rd. So if they win, they close out the defending champs as I'm recording this on a Saturday afternoon. But before we got to the playoffs, Major League Baseball gave us one of the best seasons we could have asked for. All in one regular season, we got Aaron Judge breaking the American League home run record with 62 home runs. We got Miguel Cabrera's 3,000th hit. We got Albert Pujols returning to the Cardinals and hitting his 700th home run. We got he and longtime teammate Yadier Molina retiring together after one last run with the Cardinals and possibly Adam Wainwright going with them after one last run with the Cardinals. We got... Seattle and Philly breaking their long playoff drought. Seattle had a 21-year playoff drought. Philly had a 13-year playoff drought. Both those droughts are done. Um, and I'm really excited. Tonight is Seattle's first first home game since 2001. And it's going to be loud and it's going to be awesome. And the, the Philadelphia fans have been incredible during this series with the Braves. So Seattle and Philly ending these long, long, long droughts. And fans have been great in the postseason already. The The fans in Cleveland during that wild card series were unbelievable. That is what – I remember, I think it was game one of the Cleveland wild card series against Tampa Bay. Jose Ramirez hits a go-ahead homer, and the place – erupted and i thought that is what playoff baseball is and so the fans have been great so those droughts ended we had we had four 100 win teams which tied the record for most in a season and the yankees finished with 99 wins they lost on the final day of the season or else this year would have had the most 100 win teams in a in a single season in mlb history so we were one win away from breaking that record. And I want to give a special shout-out to the Baltimore Orioles. Even though they did not make the playoffs, they came dang close. They they won 87 ga- eight, 83 games this year, which is their first winning season, I believe, since 2013. I may have that date wrong, but it's their first winning season in a long time. One year after losing 110 games, I it's remarkable because nobody they they didn't have a bona fide star on their in their lineup or on the mound for them. They they have a young manager, and yet 
they they finished with 83 wins. And I want to give them special mention because it was a shock that they were even keeping pace, let alone uh, at multiple points holding on to the to, to, to the wild card spot this year. That that AL wild card race was tight, and they just missed out. They were just on the wrong end of it. But they looked really good, and they should be they should be excited for their future. They have a lot of a lot of great players over there. They don't have any stars, but they have a lot of great players over there that, with just a few pieces, could could really make a difference. And so I'm excited to see what they do. And I think Brandon Hyde, the manager in Baltimore, deserves to be the AL Manager of the Year. And it's not even a question to me that that he did the best job of any manager in the American League because of the the expectations or lack thereof that was in Baltimore going into this year and, and where it ended up. And while I'm on the subject of managers of the year, I think, I think that distinction in the national league should go to Phillies manager, Rob Thompson, because earlier in the season, and I'll admit that I was wrong. I talked about how I thought the Phillies really messed up in, in firing Joe Girardi after a 22 and 29 start. And yet the the Phillies finished 87 and 75. So I think he deserves he deserves the credit for that. I I'll admit that I was wrong that they were right to make a change. He deserves the credit. He he's a longtime baseball guy who served with Joe Girardi in New York, so it was obviously hard for him to take over the job from his team, but he had, he admitted that he thought his chance to be a manager was over. Like he, he, he thought those days were gone. And so he had resigned himself to, to being that bench coach, that, that assistant. And he finally got his shot and the Phillies like the Braves in the middle of the season, got hot, snuck into the playoffs and are now looking as they are one win away from knocking off the defending world series champs. And then they shocked the Cardinals in the wild card. They look like a team to be, to that could make a World Series run. So I think he deserves the National League honor. And with that, that's all the time I have. That, that, that's it for this episode of Empire Sports Talk. It's good to be back. We're going to try to post weekly again. But I am your host, Roman Gennaro, signing off. See you next time.